Hello, and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. This is episode 30. Glad to have you with me. And again, it's just me. I would say glad to have you with us, but there's only me. It's only me. It's only me. Anyway, um, enough of that. Uh, As you know, uh, I am the producer of this show. I am the voice of the show. There is no budget. It's just me in my basement using my microphone and my software and the Anchor app. And that's not a promotional message of any kind or an endorsement. Uh, I have no underwriters. I have no advertisers. It's just me yakking. And uh, my opinions, uh, the opinions expressed on this show are mine alone. No one else's. So, um... Don't associate my opinions with anyone else that I may happen to be associated with. Uh, They do not necessarily share my opinions. They may, but they may not. And uh, that's really all I have to say about that. And welcome to Strange Sound. Once again, here we are. It's now uh, late September um, 2020. We're fast approaching a presidential election and um, we have uh, a ongoing COVID health emergency happening in the United States of America, well in excess of 200,000, I believe it's up to 205,000 dead, many, many, many thousands more with serious health impacts from this COVID virus, which again is not something that you hear a lot about, uh, but which is really, um, to my mind, uh, just as serious in some ways as the deaths is the fact that survivors of this virus um, have some serious health problems that they're going to be dealing with for years. And we're not entirely um, aware of the full impact of uh, COVID-19. Um, we don't really know. Uh, there are some heart implications. There are some internal organ implications. I am not a doctor. I am not an epidemiologist. I would suggest that you look for um, reputable sources on this. But um, from what I've heard in recent weeks and months. Yeah, uh, this is a very serious matter. It's something that apparently the president was aware of being serious back early in, I believe, February when he was first talking to Bob Woodward about this. (laughs) And I know you've heard the tape, so I I won't repeat the words. But yeah, obviously, he had been fully informed of how serious the COVID virus was. And apparently, um, at that time, he was well aware of it. He was telling 
Bob Woodward that he was well aware of it. And uh, he's obviously saying something completely different. Uh, I believe I talked about this in the last episode, so I'm not going to go into detail about that, obviously. But again, this is where we were at. As I speak, for the second day in a row, the president, uh, this is, uh, by the way, this is Sunday. I believe it is the it is the 27th of September. It's Sunday. As I record this, um, I will likely post this on the 29th. And uh, as I speak, um, we had just yesterday had a 5 p.m. It was either Friday night or Saturday night in the evening around 5 p.m., the president announcing his choice of of Amy Barrett for Associate Justice of the Supreme Court to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died a couple of weeks ago. And uh, sounds like they're determined to push this thing through really quickly. Um, the president has announced today on the 27th that he's going to have another 5 p.m. press conference, news conference announcement of some kind. Um, probably having to do with maybe giving money to people. <laughs> I mean, he's just letting it rip. He's letting it rip on all cylinders. Um, it's uh, He's in full re-election mode right now. It's almost like he wasn't paying attention for most of the year, and now he's just like starting to realize, oh, shit, I have to come up with something tangible. I have to come up with some tangible things that people can hook on to. I have to come up with something tangible for people that people will like. I have to send them money. I have to give them something of value so that they'll vote for me again. Because after all, he went around when he was first running for president saying, I'm going to give you, you know, great health care. It's going to be better than Obamacare. It's going to be, you know, everyone's going to have it. It's not going to cost anybody anything. Uh, it reminds me of that FDR um that FDR uh, riff that he did uh, back um, during, I think it was during one of his campaigns, it might have been 1940, where he was uh, talking about how the um, the Republicans were would be saying, yes, just, we'll take care of Social Security, just give it to us. We'll, we'll take care of it, we'll do it better than you can, and it won't cost anybody anything. And that's kind of the same line that Trump took in 2016. And he's, you know, he's obviously, he's trying to do the same thing again. Like he signed an executive order um, saying that people are protected uh, for pre-existing conditions um, with regard to um, their health insurance. Even though his administration is right now you know, um, fighting in the courts up to the Supreme Court, it will be heard by the Supreme Court right after the election, actually, um, a case having to do with uh, striking down the Affordable Care Act, including, you know, everything, including the pre-existing condition provisions, all the stuff that's in the um, patient protection section of the Affordable Care Act, which is really the only part of it as... Um, as Sam Cedar has pointed out many times, it's the only part of the bill that is really salient and has really helped people in any in any discernible way. That and the Medicaid expansion, where that's been allowed. But yeah, he's uh, 
you know, they're attacking it, but at the same time, uh, he's issued a an executive order that says, you know, you have to be covered for pre-existing conditions. Of course, that's the value of that is nil. You take that executive order and you hand it to your insurance company, and if they've been released from the requirements, from the patient protection requirements in the ACA, uh, that executive order is worth nothing. And believe you me, (laughs) if uh, Aetna and other large insurers are released from having to cover people's um, pre-existing conditions, having to accept people and and charge them a reasonable rate um, with pre-existing conditions, uh, they will do so because that is uh, a real impediment to their profit-making. And the president is dedicated, his administration is dedicated to pushing forward um, this litigation that will be before the Supreme Court with a new, presumably, um, if they're successful, and they it looks like they could very well be successful in seating a sixth hyper-conservative justice, um, in this case, a- Amy Barrett, who's um, just a tremendously reactionary judge. Um, so they would have a 6-3 majority on the court, and I'm quite sure that they would... Um, allow the lower courts to uh, basically strip the um, Affordable Care Act. Um, Invalidate it entirely on that. I mean, the crux of that that case, I don't want to go into detail on this. I'm not a legal expert, but I have heard quite a bit of discussion about this. I think the crux of this case has to do with the mandate, the coverage mandate in the Affordable Care Act, and the fact that... um, it was essentially done away with um, in the last Congress, in the Republican Congress. They they essentially got rid of the um, fine that you would pay if you did not have coverage. That was the enforcement mechanism. So effectively, there is no mandate anymore. But the language in the bill still says that you have to have coverage or else you will be penalized. They had... Uh, the Supreme Court had um, essentially signed off on on the mandate and the um, fine that you would have to pay if you didn't have coverage. Um, they had allowed that uh, because they considered it a tax, which is, you know, accurate. Um, but <laughs> without the fee, without the fine... Um, and without the tax, the argument uh, by the lower court is simply, or by the the litigants, is, and the lower court agreed, is that uh, the mandate is no longer valid. So thereby, the entire law is no longer valid. And the the Trump administration is supportive of that claim. And if they are successful in their arguments before the Supreme Court, which they will have stacked with reactionary justices, uh, you know, two appointed already by Trump, um, another one on the way, then uh, the Affordable Care Act will be struck down. And 
everyone who uh, all the something like 10 million people who rely on Obamacare um, will lose their coverage. All of the millions of people who um, were included in the Medicaid expansion uh, will lose their coverage. And uh, all of the patient protection portion of the Affordable Care Act, a lot of people talk about the pre-existing condition um, protections. Um, There are also... um, Lifetime limits um, are barred. Annual uh, l- limits are barred. Uh, so you can't, you know, there's an insurance company cannot tell you 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 can know you, there's a certain dollar amount that you cannot exceed in a given calendar year or in a given policy year. Um, they can't tell you that um, there's a certain dollar amount that you cannot exceed. Um, through the course of your um, subscribership uh, to their policy, they they can no longer do that. Uh, they have to allow you to um, include your children on on your cover in your coverage um, until they're twenty six. Um, a number of other provisions that are important advancements, at least in terms of the private insurance market that we currently have. These are important enhancements. This has made a tremendous difference uh, to the to the degree to which uh, the ACA has been successful. That is where it's been successful. It has at least changed the nature of coverage. Because uh, for those of you uh, who are older than you know um, twenty or twenty five or so, you may well remember uh, the way insurance used to be. Um, that there were lifetime caps, that there were annual caps, that uh, pre-existing conditions were an issue, a serious issue. If you if you tried to get coverage, um, if you changed jobs and you were tried to try to get coverage, um, they would they could legitimately tell you that you couldn't uh, subscribe to the plan because they didn't want you because you wouldn't be profitable, right? They want you to pay in and not get anything back. <laughs> That's their goal. They want to cover healthy people. What the ACA did was make it so that they kind of have to cover a broader range of people. Not everybody, but a broader range of people, and they don't like that. And, uh, you know, people are fighting it, right? And the uh, Trump administration is doing just that, but they'll, you know, he'll he'll do a little dance in front of the microphone and say that he's protecting people with pre-existing conditions, and that's crap. But you know, we expect that from him, right? We expect that he's going to say, uh, "I'm not going to," you know, I, I we'll, we'll have to wait and see as to whether I'm going to. Um, allow for a peaceful transition um, if I lose. Um, he doesn't really speak to the, to whether or not uh, there's a possibility that he will lose. He, he doesn't, in, in the past, he's basically said, if I lose, it's because there's been massive fraud. And that's what he continues to say. And he never says anything that contradicts that. But... <laughs> Over the past week or two, his rhetoric has broadened beyond mail-in ballots to just 
be about ballots. So if you'll notice that question that was thrown at him at a recent press conference, whereby he said, well, you know, uh, we'll have to see how it turns out because I've been complaining very strongly about ballots. He didn't say mail-in ballots. He just said ballots. So what does that mean? So he's broadening it. It's not just the mail-in ballots that he's talking about. It's ballots that are against him. It's ballots that are cast against him. That they will try to invalidate as many ballots as they possibly can. And we have to be prepared for this. Uh, This is on, right? This is definitely on. So, (laughs) look, uh, we could either sit back and allow this to happen or we can... We can stand up. It's up to us. But this guy's, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me, you know, the degree to which um, this guy has been able to get his way, even though he's like a cheesy condo salesman with a bad plug job, you know, who could possibly be fooled by this guy? Who could be fooled by his rhetoric? Who could be fooled by a claim that, you know, I'm going to give you a coverage that's that's going to be better than anything that you've got right now and it's not going to cost you anything? Who believes that at this point, right? Does anyone believe that out there? If you believe that, please get in touch with me. I want to find out why you believe that. I'm guessing that no one listening to the sound of my voice right now does believe that, but it's possible. Um, so if someone out there <laughs> knows someone who believes these claims, these crazy claims, uh, please step forward and uh, leave a leave a voicemail. Uh, it's easy to do. You just go to anchor.fm slash strange sound. And click on the voicemail link and you will find the means by which you can start a conversation with me. I would be very glad to hear from you. Um, yeah, so so it looks like we're going to be faced with um, possibly having another hyper-conservative Supreme Court justice. This is problematic in the extreme, obviously. Uh, I kind (laughs) of, I'm not sure what to suggest people do about this because, um, as I mentioned in the last podcast, um, this is a, uh, process that's been underway for a number of years. This effort to transform the judiciary into uh, something that's far more conservative than it was before, even though it kind of started out in a fairly conservative place. Um, it's getting more and more reactionary, and particularly the Supreme Court and the circuit courts. But the Supreme Court, obviously, is the is the grand prize, and we are in uh, kind of a bad situation here as as far as it goes. Um, obviously, uh, anyone listening to this podcast with any regularity knows what my position was on. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and um, 
And on Stephen Breyer, uh, my feeling was that they should have stepped down in the sort of uh, 2012 through 2014 period when there was an opportunity to replace them, when there was a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president, and when they could have easily been replaced. Um, They did not do so for whatever reason. Um, And now we are left with the possibility, the probability, uh, the extreme likelihood that we will have a six to three Supreme Court um, with a reactionary, not just a conservative majority, mind you, a reactionary majority for the foreseeable future. I mean, Amy Barrett could be on that court for another, you know, 45, 50 years, um, given the longevity of Supreme Court justices just lately. And uh, we know uh, (laughs) they tend to live a long, fruitful life, for the most part. Um, I find this very frustrating. I mean, this situation is tremendously frustrating. And the reason why I feel that way is, and I've talked to this before, is that It's essentially an investment in the future, right? I mean, if you look at, I've mentioned this, I mentioned this last time. If you look at what they're terming um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's last wish that she dictated to her granddaughter um, that she be replaced by, uh, that her replacement be named by the next president, um, it's it's ridiculous to think that 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 would actually happen. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that she would think that if she passed away before the end of the Trump administration, that anything other than what's happening right now would happen. I mean, she was a person of the world. She was a very canny individual. I can't think that she wasn't aware of what we uh, of what we're up against politically. Um, if you give the Republican Party of today an opportunity, they're going to take it. They're not going to do the decent, right? They're not going to try to be consistent. They're not going to do anything of the sort. They're going to use whatever power they have to get to the goal that they've set for themselves. And this is a goal they set for themselves decades ago. And, you know, they're doing a pretty good job at reaching it, even though they are a minority party. Um, The Republican Senate um, represents, you know, something like 15 million fewer people than the Democratic senators do. Um, It's a minority majority. And the president himself uh, represents... I mean, he was elected with three million fewer votes than his opponent. So this is <laughs> this is a minority uh, minority preference here. Um, we're going to have a um, majority on the court that represents a shrinking minority opinion in this country, a set of opinions that are held by a shrinking minority in this country. And that's hugely problematic. Uh, frustration on this issue is nothing new to me. Um, 
I've been frustrated about the Supreme Court and the degree to which the Republicans are much more strategic about this than the Democrats have ever been. The Democratic Party has just never seen this as a voting matter. And um, it isn't like individual candidates haven't encouraged the Democratic constituencies to consider this a voting issue. Um, I think I may have mentioned in previous podcasts that in 1984, when Alan Cranston was running for president um, in the Democratic primary, um, he was pointing out, you know, he, I remember him saying this in one of the Democratic debates, which was kind of a sit-down affair. <laughs> it was interesting, uh, very congenial, but it was, you know, a bunch of white guys sitting around talking. And he said, you know, don't let Reagan get his hands on that court. And he, I think he was the only one who said it. And well, they did. We did. As a voting public, you know, we allowed, you know, Reagan to choose uh, three justices. So he chose Sandra Day O'Connor. He chose uh, Scalia. He elevated uh, Rehnquist to chief justice. And he chose Kennedy. Tried to choose Bork, got uh, Bork got swatted away. Uh, he tried to get a Justice Ginsburg. I forget the first name. Um, that was withdrawn rather quickly. Had some personal problems, and then got to Kennedy. Third time the charm. <laughs> I remember hearing about that in uh, New Jersey. Actually, I was uh, I was on a gig in New Jersey with a with a road band um, playing Trump Plaza. <laughs> there you go we've come full circle i was hearing about anthony kennedy being appointed i think when i was on the i was thinking about this on the beach um in outside of atlantic city i think brigantine island back in the day what 1987 um yeah so anyway frustration nothing new to me uh, I don't usually do this, but I wanted to share this uh, little song that my brother wrote um, for Big Green, our other project. Um, I'll probably play this on uh, our other podcast, This Is Big Green. It's actually been included in uh, one of the episodes of Ned Trek that we posted through uh, This Is Big Green. You can find out more about that at big-green.net. But uh, this song is called Can't Go Wrong. And it's a song my brother wrote uh, a couple of years ago about um, Kavanaugh. <laughs> uh, we included it in our podcast. Um, this song, actually, uh, I heard this song after Kavanaugh had been appointed. Um, and Matt had written this song just on the basis of Kavanaugh's testimony before the, um, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, once the um, Blasey Ford ac accusation had become public and uh, his uh, singular performance in front of that committee, um, I've never seen anything like that, um, that shocking, shockingly juvenile, petulant performance that Kavanaugh put in that in and of itself, regardless of whether or not the accusations against him were true. 
that performance in and of itself demonstrated the degree to which he is not fit to sit on the Supreme Court, but he was appointed anyway, and he was approved anyway. And as a result, my brother came up with this song. It's called Can't Go Wrong. And uh, it's kind of a novelty song. It's by Big Green. Um, and here it is. Just give it a listen. This actually made me feel pretty good. <laughs> there you go. You can't go wrong With a fascist that has so much charm And he's so fantastic With a pedigree as long as your longest arm You take him down That was Can't Go Wrong by Big Green. Um, again, a bit of a novelty number. We're kind of a rock band, but that's that's kind of a departure for us. But again, this is this is about uh, <laughs> Kavanaugh. And uh, as you can see, Matt wasn't super happy about that. Neither was I. 
Uh, and we're faced with the same thing once again. So, um, we'll see what happens. Um, relatively certain that they're going to push this thing through as hard as they can. It seems like all of the pieces are in place. The, um, analysis I've heard, you know, suggests that if Mitch McConnell has the votes, he will do it before the election rather than after because they want to make sure that they have this. Um, this is a major goal of theirs. You know, this is, this couldn't have come at a better time for them. Um, and they're, you know, they're happy to, to push it through. So we'll see. I mean, I, I personally think the Democrats should go to the mat on this, but I don't really know what, what they're going to be willing to do. I think they can slow it down a little bit. Um, I don't know that they can block it, but we'll see. We'll see. It's worrisome. Anyway, uh, we'll have to deal with this as it comes. A lot of folks um, talk about Amy uh, Barrett's position on abortion. This is um, a red button issue, uh, and it's an important one. And her position on abortion rights is pretty extreme. Um, there's <laughs> there's a lot more to be worried about with her. I think she's like Kavanaugh, a uh, supporter of executive power. And um, I don't know that she's an advocate for the unitary executive theory that uh, Kavanaugh is so fond of. She certainly would be a fairly reliable vote in Trump's favor if uh, a disputed election came before the Supreme Court for whatever reason. It's obvious that that's what the president wants to see happen. It's obvious that um, Republican leaders in the Senate want to see that happen because they keep raising that issue. They're preparing the ground for people. They want people to expect that the election is somehow going to be thrown to the Supreme Court. There's absolutely no reason to think that it would need to be, but they will try to contrive it um, if there isn't a clear winner on election night, which seems likely that there will not be. And it's possible that the president could be, you know, ahead by the end of election night because of all the uncounted mail-in ballots um, and a lot of the sort of late balloting. You know, it's it's possible. Um, I've talked about it in previous episodes. I think the last episode I talked about how we should really, you know, make every effort to sort of make our way to the polls and vote early and make sure if you're if you're going to vote absentee that you send it in early. Uh, get your ballot early. Send it in early. Make sure that uh, your your ballot is counted. That's the best way to do it. Uh, we really need to get rid of of Trump, but they are going to try to steer this towards their strength. If they're losing the vote, they are going to try to steer it towards the packed courts that they've um, achieved over the last three years. They've been packing the courts. 
Um, I forget what the proportion is. It's something like a quarter of the judiciary has been named by Trump um, by this point. Um, it's pretty remarkable. And they've just been doing little else, particularly over the last two years. Um, and they so, you know, they want to make use of that tool. You know, press to its limit. Presidential power is such that you can preserve you can preserve your your um hold on office. Um you have the tools that will enable you to do that. Part of it is just through uh judicial appointments, part of it is through the power of the Justice Department. And part of it is just through the power of the presidency and and the power of the office to set the tone of the conversation, the national conversation. It's really hard to counteract that. Um, the fact that, um, you know, Trump goes around saying the same false things over and over again, um, saying that ballots are unreliable, saying that it's a hoax, saying that it's a scam and a hoax, and everybody knows it, and you know it, and the Democrats know it, um, that this election is going to be a hoax um, because he sees himself losing. He's attacking the ballot because the ballot is a threat to him, just like he attacks every other institution in in our government. From the very beginning, he attacked the press because he didn't like their reporting on him. That's not a government institution, but it's it's the you know it's the fourth state, right? He attacked the FBI. He attacked the Justice Department because it wasn't it wasn't supportive enough of him. He attacked the intelligence community because it wasn't supportive enough of him. It was becoming an obstruction to him. He's attacked the post office because they would be an, an integral part of people being able to vote. He's attacking the idea of absentee ballots, even though he himself uses absentee ballots and all of his family members do. And many members of his of, of his cabinet, of his administration do. But he's still attacking the ballot. He attacked the military when it when it was not sufficiently cooperative. Anything that gets in his way. This is this is dictatorial behavior. This is autocratic behavior. Whatever gets in the way becomes the enemy, and he just repeats it again and again and again. He attacks, and then he repeats the attack, and he repeats it again, and he repeats it again, and he goes and has a rally and you know gets people whooped up and you know makes announcements. And he uses the power of the presidency to undermine confidence in these institutions so that people won't trust the post office. They'll feel intimidated. They won't trust the ballot. They'll expect that the, that the next president is going to be chosen by the Supreme Court and not by the people. And, you know, this is the power of the presidency. It's the power of fake news. And again, you know, Trump is is the first, you know, Trump is the guy who's always talking about fake news. He's projecting. 
What he accuses other people of doing, he does himself. He's accusing the Democrats of election fraud. He himself is preparing to commit election fraud. But he's it's it's the thief crying thief. That's what he's doing. He yells fake news, and yet every day he makes fake news. A lot of people think that uh, Trump invented the term fake news. Uh, not too many people remember that fake news, you know, the term, you know, predates Trump using it um, because there was a lot of fake news out there um, circulating um, leading up to the 2016 election. And it, it became kind of a commonly used term. Um, I remember in the run up to the 2016 election, I think it was in 2015, uh, I was at work and uh, and I was checking I was checking some Facebook posts and I saw this post for a news story uh, that talked about Barack Obama winning another Nobel Prize and I looked at it and I thought, "What? I hadn't heard that. That's kind of surprising. He was president at the time." And I clicked through, and there was this news story um, on a news site um, that looked legitimate. Um, It was a fairly competently written story. It didn't seem to have a slant or an angle to it. It just described what it, you know, what the headline had sort of led into that he you know, won the Nobel Prize a second time and that, you know, he had won it previously and it talked a little bit about about some of the particulars. Um, I don't remember all the text from it, but it was it was a weird story and it wasn't true. It simply wasn't true. But it didn't seem like it was intended to um, get people to do something or to think either less of Obama or necessarily more of Obama. It just plain wasn't true. It was a false story. It looked convincing. Um, It was on a site that looked like an actual news site. And I couldn't, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out why anyone would do this. I mean, I quickly figured out that it was fake, but it's, I couldn't figure out what the incentive was. And it almost seems to me like I don't know. That sort of thing was just sort of like dry runs to, you know, trying trying to, you know, float other more sort of pointed fake stories that would undermine your confidence in one in one uh candidate or another uh leading into the 2016 election. And and so, you know, look, fake news was a thing. Trump more or less took possession of the term, and because he's president of the United States, and because everything he says and everything he tweets gets carried, you know, by networks and, you know, pushed out in a million different ways, it's just the power of the presidency. As a communicative office, people pay attention to what the president says, and that's that's what we're up against here, Right? It's human nature to start to believe something that gets repeated over and over again. There's no question. But, you know, when it's repeated by the president, 
Uh, that's like an entirely different category. Um, and, and so <laughs> all I can say is, you know, we're going to have to, this is a psychological game as much as anything else. We need to keep from being kind of brainwashed by this into thinking that anything that he says is inevitable. Um, that, you know, this is going to necessarily end up in the Supreme Court. Um, that we need to keep from being on the defensive here. We need to be more aggressive and press forward with our right to vote and to have our voices heard. And if anything like what they've described, um, as far as like the um, GOP majority in the in, in the uh, like Pennsylvania state legislature, you know, picking its own slate of electors, if anything like that happens. I would suggest that people need to uh, head straight to the capital, <laughs> the state capital, <laughs> and make sure that that doesn't happen <laughs> peacefully, but in large numbers. Okay, well, I've rambled on quite a bit today, so I'm going to stop there. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Again, please. If you've got any pushback, uh, if you want to add to this conversation, if you want to make it a conversation and not just a monologue, be glad to hear from you. Just go to anchor.fm slash strange sound. Leave a one minute voicemail. You can also reach me on Twitter at strange sound pod. Um, you can tweet at me. You can follow me. I'll follow you. You know, all that stuff. Uh, if you go to anchor.fm slash strange sound, uh, you'll find links to our other uh, social media properties like Facebook. Um, we have a YouTube channel, which right now is just about, you know, reposting these episodes. I'm a few episodes behind, too, so I got to get to work. Uh, but again, this is just me. So if you want to talk to just me, uh, visit any one of those properties and sort of reach out to me. I'd be glad to hear from you. Um be glad to turn this into a conversation. I'd be glad to do a Zoom session with somebody if uh, there's enough to talk about. Uh, you know, let's let's talk. Let's talk turkey. Anyway, uh, stay safe out there. Have a good week. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>